are 39 milahot which constitute forms of work forbidden on the Sabbath. It's the why behind the way we do the things we do. Join Rabbi Musha Schnurb now for Hilchos Shabbos, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Soul to Soul on your radio. Erev Shabbos Kodesh Pashas Sazria Mitzayra Double Pasha, and of course it's Shabbos Rosh Chodesh. Today is Rosh Chodesh, and tomorrow Shabbos continues to be Rosh Chodesh here. So it's a very very special time, and I take the opportunity to make a warm welcome to all of our radio family. Thank you so much for taking time out on these ever shortening Fridays and listening to our program, hopefully getting inspired, hopefully learning something, hopefully having something that you'll be able to repeat over at your Shabbos table for the people you love and care about and want to spread some of the Chochmas HaTorah, some of the wisdom of the Torah, some of the beauty of Torah to those who share Shabbos with with you. So this week's Pasha, of course, as we know, is Pasha Sazriya Mitzvah, and the main topic is someone who uses his mouth in an inappropriate way, and speaks negatively about a person. And the Torah says, Negat tzoras ki adam, if a tzoras affliction would be found in a person, v'huva el He has to be brought to the coin. We know that no one can make a decision himself about his own purity or state of purity or impurity when something that looks like it might be a tzoras spot appears Anywhere in his body, he has to proceed forthwith to the Kayan, and the Kayan decides whether, in fact, he is pure or or impure. Now, there's a Gemara in Bab Metziah, on Daphnun Tess, relates that Davon Melech bemoaned to Hashem that following the incident of Bathsheba, certain men were humiliating him. He added, even when they are engaged in studying Nigoim, right, which is the Amishnayas um, that deal with various kinds of, of Tzoras, and Ayalais, which are also Mishnayas that deal with Tuma, which is, which is sort of ritual contamination in a closed area, such as a tent. They come to me and ask, David, what form of execution does Bezdin give to one who has any moral a, a relationship with a married woman, right? They were alluding, of course, to David's relationship with Bathsheba, which was legally permissible. But this did not prevent them from wagging their tongues and and, and being disparaging about David Melach. Now, this outrage took place during David's Sheer, when he was, he was mama, she was giving a halakhic lecture, and they came and asked these questions just to sort of put him in a bad light. One person, I mean, who, again, in, as, in, as is usual in these situations, was probably egged on by others, had the, the chutzpah to ask a question, which was obviously an allusion to David HaMelech. The king did not flinch. He responded, the punishment for one who cohabits with a married woman is chenek, death by choking. However, the punishment for one who embarrasses another Jew in public is losing his portion in Eilam Haba, in the world, the world to come. You know, the implication was clear. You might think that I acted inappropriately, even if it were true, which it wasn't. Right? Your sin of humiliating me in public carries a much, much greater punishment. Now, the question that requires elucidation is, why David chose Nigoyim and Oyelis over any other difficult, right? Which, uh, you know, there are a lot of areas of Torah that require serious concentration in order to learn a sugya. Right? Why do you pick specifically these two Nagam and others to emphasize how such a man can interrupt what seems to be serious learning to, to, to humiliate him? So, Mlukute Shoshanan, right, uh, uh, explains that Nagayim, 
these various afflictions are heaven sent to punish one who speaks Lashon Hara. Thus, Davar Melech was intimating, even when they are engaged in Nigayim, they know that Lashon Hara causes Nigayim, that still did not prevent them from slandering me publicly. Furthermore, although they are studying the laws of Oyalis, a tent which is a canopy over a dead body, which brings to mind, right, the Yom Hamisa, the day of death, when we're all going to have to give a reckoning, these wicked men had no problem slandering me. Now, we wonder what provoked such scholars to act so despicably to insult in the lowest manner the Melech Yisrael, when Hashem had chosen to be His anointed one, was it jealousy or righteous indignation? Was it sort of, I don't know, frumkite or fragile egos? Perhaps they heard members of their congregations murmuring, and in order to satisfy the people, they were willing to transgress and spill blood. And, and obviously this is irrelevant because the problem has unfortunately not disappeared. We still have weak, spineless leadership holding positions of power who, when their balabatim say jump, ask how high. All this is carried out at the expense of others and their families. If Davon Melech complained about this outrageous behavior, what, in fact, should we say? This is 101.9. Chai FM, the program is to Salt. We'll be back in a moment. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 Chai FM, this is Salt to back on your radio area of Shabbos Kodesh. Pasha Sazria Metzorah Tavshin Pegim, which is also Shabbos Rosh Kodesh. And because... It is Shabbos Rosh Chodesh, so we're going to read a special maftir and a haftira that is relevant to the fact that that today and tomorrow are Rosh Chodesh. And therefore, we're not going to be reading the normal haftira for Pashas, uh, we usually read the haftira of Pashas Metzorah, but I want to talk because we get a lot of insight into the whole theme of this week's Pasha, which is the concept of tsaras and and the the punishment for hurting others and 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 wanting only to aggrandize yourself is a very central theme of the pasha and particularly of this of this after in fact there's a there's a uh, gemara in a mission actually in mesecha sanhedrin in the 10th parak in in Sadi, uh, which says there are three different kings and four sort of, call them commoners, not kings, who we're told will not get a portion in the world to come. Who are the three kings? Yeruvam ben Avat, Achav, and Menashe. These were all three kings who spread idolatry throughout the land of Israel in all kinds of new and novel kinds of ways that had never been done before, even though in other areas of their lives they may have been very observant Jews and, and, and did what they had to do, but since they not only served idols, but they kind of promulgated it throughout Israel, they lost their portion in the world to come. That's the four, the three kings. Who are the Arba Hedjaitis? Who are the four sort of commoners that will not get a portion in the world to come? There's Bilam. Bilam Arasha, who wanted to curse the Jewish nation, and when he was unsuccessful, still managed to cause havoc in the Jewish nation by giving the advice to try to entice the Jews into acts of, of immorality. Doeg and Aftofel were instrumental in David's uh, David Amel's life, there was Rabbeim, but they did seminally things wrong and lost their portion in, in Al-Mabba. And the fourth one is Gehazi. And uh, the fourth one is Gehazi, who we're going to learn about in this Haftarah, who was the two I see the assistant to Elisha the, the Navi. 
And in fact, uh, if you want a nice, a nice little acronym to remember the four names, it's Aleph, Beis, Gimel, Dalid. Achitoifel Aleph, Bilam, Beis, Gechazi, Gimel, and Doyeg, uh, uh, Dalid. Just some cute to remember. Now, sort of in contradistinction to this, the Gemara in Sanhedrin on Daf Kufdalam and Beis brings that those who, who, uh, like to understand and clarify these types of matters used to say that everyone eventually ends up in Olam Haba. And they based it on a Pasuk in Tehillim chapter 60 verse 9. It says, Li Gilad, right? Gilad is mine, Vili Menashe, and Menashe is mine, Ve'Ephraim Ma'oy is Reishi, Ephraim is the strength of my head, Yehuda Mechoykakai, Yehuda is the one who makes and enforces my laws, Mayav Seer Rachzi, Mayav is the pot in which I wash myself, Al Edaim Ashlich Nali, on Edom I will throw my shoes, Ale Peleshes Hisraya, and over the, over the, over the Peleshes, over the Pelishtim, Right, I will I will make them decrepit. Now the Gemara explains each one. What's Li Gilad Li Menashe? That's referring to Achav. That's referring to Achav Shenofa Beromas Gilad. That he lost his wife in a place called Romas Gilad. Menashe. It's also referring to Menashe Kemashmoi because it says Li Menashe. Menashe is mine, Sadakalish Baruch Right, even though seemingly he's lost his his uh, portion on Haba, Hashem saying he's mine. Ephraim or Israishi, who is this Ephraim? That's the strength of my head. That's Yerovam. Yerovam came from the tribe of Ephraim, and yet Hashem says he's my strength. Even though we just said that he doesn't have a portion on Haba, right? But he came from Ephraim. What's Yehuda Mochaykakai? Yehuda, my lawgiver. This is referring to Achitaifel who came from the tribe of Yehuda. And what's Moyav Sir Rachatzi? Moyav is the pot in which I cleanse myself. Zegechazi. This is referring to Gechazi. Shelokal Iskevechitza. Who was punished because of a matter involving washing which the Haftarah will, will describe. And I'll edoim ashlich nali zedoyikoidoimi. So we see from here that there's some very, very, something very, very confusing between the Mishnah we quoted on Daftzadi and this Gemara. It's possible really to get, to get mixed up because on the one hand, in the Mishnah it's written that all these people, right? Right, and, and Gehazi, and Bilam, and Doeg, don't have a portion in the world to come. And five lot later, on, on, on Daf Kuftalid, uh, it says that those who, who uh, are experts in these things, they used to say that they do have a portion in Alam Haba. Right? So, uh, do they have a portion in Alam Haba? Or don't they? We're left with a very, very confusing situation. Says the Ben Ishkai in his Sefer Ben Yoyada. He says a very, very important Yisait. He says the men of the great assembly and Rabbeinu HaKadosh, Rabbi Yodanasi, who wrote the Mishnayis, right, put these three kings and these four commoners in a Mishnah and made a statement, dogmatic statement, that they don't have a portion in the in the world to come. And that is as a result of their terrible behavior, of their rebellion against Hashem. That is actually the status quo they have. They don't have a portion in the world to come. However, even for these people, it is possible that if they go through a tremendous process of, of self-improvement, of change, often that might involve having to come back 
to this world in different forms and guises till they're able to get to a status where they can completely repair and eradicate the evil of what they've done in the world, they will be able to achieve a portion in the world to come. But nevertheless, the Mishnah makes a statement that they don't have a portion in the world to come, that, first of all, the very fact that they're publicly humiliated and embarrassed in such a way is in itself an atonement for them because when a person is embarrassed, when a person feels shame, that helps fix up a sin. So that would already be the first step for them in 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 the long process that they would need to go through to repair the damage they've done and get to a situation where even they can get a, a portion in the world to come. Now, because we're dealing with this week's Haftarah, so of those four Hegeotis, uh, those four non-kings, we're going to deal just with the story today of Gehazi, right? Which is the, uh, the uh, you know, the Haftarah of this week, Tazriah and, and Mitzrayah. Deal with him. So we're going to deal with that Pasha, with that situation, and, and try to learn a little bit uh, uh, about it. We'll just start. The Gemara says in, in Saita, and, and in Sanhedrin, that Tarabonim, la'oilam tehei simol doicha v'min karevis. When a person needs to discipline someone for something he's done wrong, should always be pushed away with the left hand, but the right hand, the stronger hand, should bring him close. Loike elisha. Not like Elisha the Navi, who pushed away Gehazi with both of his, both of his hands. And, and we'll see what happened, and, and completely repudiated him. We're gonna talk about that story, and, and the ramifications for us in our world, when we come back in a moment. This is 11.9, Chai FM, the program is Soul to Soul, please stay with us. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio. Erev Shabbos, Kodesh, Parshas, Sazria, Metzoya, Tov, Shin, Pei, Gimel. We are talking about three individuals, four individuals, who did not get a chilek in Olam Haba, where the mission says, have no portion in the world to come. One of them is a fellow called Gehazi, who's a main uh, uh, sort of feature in the Haftarah for this week's Pasha, which we're not going to read. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about how, in fact, although the fact is they don't have a portion in Olam Haba, there is certain things they can do to work on themselves and and uh, repair themselves and fix up what they've done wrong so that they can potentially get back to the state. You know, we say in Pirkei Avot that Kol Yisrael Every person starts off with a portion in the world to come. So they have lost theirs, but it's, it's, it's not that elusive. It is possible even for them to return to that position where they're going to have a portion in the world, in the world to come. So, this Haftarah, which is actually the Haftarah Pasha Sazria, which is quite interestingly, actually very, very rarely read. I mean, the last time we read it was in Tafshin Samach Dalit, Tafshin Samach Gimel, which is basically 20, 20 years ago. And please God, next year, we're going to, we're going to, uh, to read it. And uh, the story there is that there was a man called Naaman. Naaman was the general of the army of Aram. And he developed Tsaras. He developed the affliction called Tsaras. And it came to him, actually, as a, as a punishment, either because he was a very arrogant person, says the Medrash, or because that he took as a captive a a Jewish girl from from Eretz Yisrael. Two different versions in the in the Medrash. Now, that young girl who he took as a captive, and she served his Naaman's wife. So she gave uh, Naaman some advice. 
that in Eretz Yisrael, we go to a Navi, and the Navi heals us. So when Naaman heard this, he took with him a whole lot of wagons with, uh, you know, lots and lots of silver and, and, and gold, 6,000 talents of, of gold and 10, 10 new suits. And he traveled to Eretz Yisrael to this Navi Elisha. And the Pasuk says that Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and he stood at the entrance of the house of Elisha. And he gets there to Elisha's door, hoping and expecting that uh, Elisha will come out and, and welcome him with great honor and respect as his due, a, a person, a, a general, a man of his stature, deserves tremendous honor. However, no one came to greet him. And even the, the, the Navi never even came out of his house to, to say hello to him. And doesn't invite him into, into the house. But what Elisha did was, he sent his, his servant, his, his uh, messenger, sent him, and he said to him, says, go, watch yourself seven times in the Yarden, in the Jordan River, and then you'll become healed. So Naman was very, very, very insulted by this. The Apostle says he got very, very angry, and he said, what? I, you, I was told that I should come here, and hopefully this uh, Navi would come out and and you know, do some pocus pocus and pray in the name of uh, Hashem is God and wave his his uh, his hands over the place where the tzaras was, and the tzaras would go away. That's what I thought. I was so sure that the Navi would go to me and give me a bracha, and instead of this, he sends me to go to Toivel in in the Jordan. Huh. What am I missing? Uh, uh, do I not have enough rivers where I come from? I have to come here, right now. There, you know, they, they, I got two big rivers at home. I got a, a river called the Amona. I've got the river called the Parpa. Why should I come here? So, however, his servants managed to uh, uh, convince him, and he listens to them, and he goes to the Jordan, and he toils, and his flesh goes back to being. Lily, Lily White, like a, like a young child's fresh. So now he goes back to Elisha. Apostle says, comes back to the Navi, him and his whole camp, and he stands in front of the Navi, right? Uh, and they all come back, now they, to, to, to the, to the Jordan. Now this time, Elisha now lets him in to the, to the house, and he says, oh, says, he ain't now I know. Ki ein elakim There's no other God in the whole world. Ki in Bishol, except the God of Yisrael. Please let me give you some kind of a, a tribute. Let me, let me pay you for, for your services. Right? Um, that, that, uh, but you have to understand that this, this admission of, of Naaman was a very, very lofty uh, uh, a thing was even more than, than Gisroy's uh, recognition and Rachav's recognition. So now Naaman wants to pay him for the great benefit that he received from Navi. However, Elisha refuses right, to take anything, right? And he uses as an opportunity to create a Kiddush Hashem. However, Gehazi, as soon as Naaman left Elisha, he runs off to him until he catches up to him. And he says he wants, uh, the Navi's changed his mind. He wants a payment for the chesed that he did with the Navi. And, uh, he has this whole, he makes, makes up this whole story that, uh, suddenly two, two, uh, lads came to the Navi and he needs money for them. So his, uh, He's not asking for anything for himself, but for those lads. And Naaman agrees and gives him whatever he wants. Says, Vayemen Naaman, Hoyel kach kikorim. Take some, uh, uh, talons of silver. Vayifrots boy, Vayitze kikorim kesev. He took a silver talons, right? And, uh, and two, two suits. And he gave it to, to, uh, uh And, and they, and they went, they went away. When uh, Gehazi comes back, so Elisha asks him, um, where were you? 
So Gechazi, of course, uh, doesn't want artists. No, 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 no. I just I had to go somewhere. So, of course, uh, yeah, I had to uh, go to the shops, whatever, whatever it is, right? Nothing, nothing, nothing special. So, of course, Elisha doesn't accept what he says. Says, I know exactly what you did, what you did. I know that you just took silver and clothing and olives and vineyards and sheep and cattle and servants and maidservants. And, and, uh, Elisha curses Gehazi. Says the tsaras that Naaman, we took away from Naaman, will stick to you and to your children forever. And, uh, uh, Gehazi walked out of there covered in tsaras like snow. Now, in the Malach, in, in the book of Malachim, in Perches, it carries on that Elisha Novi came to Damasek, and the Gemara explains in Sanhedrin, Dafkov Zayin, that the reason that Elisha came to Damasek, which was where Gehazi lived, was to try to get him to do tshuva. And this is the Gemara of the, of the sort of free translation of, of the Gemara. So it says Rabbi Yochan, that Gehazi, uh, sorry, Elisha went to bring Gehazi back in tshuva. But Gehazi refused to do tshuva. He said to him, do tshuva. So Gehazi answers, right, this is, I have, a, I, I received from tradition from you, Elisha, that someone who sins and causes others to sin never has the opportunity of doing, of doing tshuva. What was his sin? So some say he had a certain magnet that uh, he he hung, right? That you know, Yerobam had a certain golden calf that he made, and he he sort of suspended it between heaven and earth. I know it's he suggested to the Jews to hide a magnet inside these golden calves. And to uh, sort of suspend them in the air, and and by that by doing that to to fool uh, Amisa that these uh, idols have have some have some reality. Some say something else happened that there were students who came to learn Torah by Elisha, and he didn't let them come in, as it says that after Gehazi was was. Uh, Removed, it says, All the Nevi'im said to Elisha, Now there's no space. We used to have so much space. Now it's gotten so crowded, so cramped here. Right? The Gemara learned from that until that point, there weren't so many uh, Talmidim who were coming to learn to learn Torah from from uh, from Elisha, and there was plenty of space. Says Rabbanon, right? Because Gehazi uh, uh, was was not letting them come. Says Gemara, a person should always push aside with the left hand and bring close with the right hand, and Elisha that pushed aside with both hands. That was a terrible, terrible thing. Now, the Gemara says there. Amrav Yitzchak says, at that time, Elisha was busy learning about the eight kinds of forbidden type of crawling things. So he says to Gehazi, Rasha, right? It's, it's now got time for you to get paid back for the Shmoni Shvatsim. And Rashi explains, that at that time that Naaman wanted to be healed, so Elisha was sitting and teaching this Pasha of the eight crawling things. And as soon as Gehazi came and lied that he didn't go to Naaman, so Elisha said to him, Rasha, now it's the time that you're going to get, uh, 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 you're going to get rewarded, right? For the parak of Shmoenishratzim that that we were busy learning. And therefore he gave him eight things. He says, he got silver, clothing, sheep, cattle, 
olives, vineyards, etc. Right? Because in, in corresponding to the parak of Shvanishratzim that he had done naveh and stopped people from learning, he was given all these wonderful things in physical bounty. And it doesn't really make sense. What's the connection between the sugya of Shmaini Shratzim to this uh, action of Elisha and Gechaz? How do the two connect at all? So the Shevin of Musa brings down in his Sefer Ainel Yo, explains it based on the Yerushalmi of Sechaz Brochus, where it says, Shol El Yo, El Yo Asrav Naroi. Says, why is it that Hakadosh Baruch Hu created all kinds of creepy, crawly things in the world? So Rami answered, because when people do averus, so Hashem takes a look at all these little creepy, crawly worms, and He says, look at these worms that really have no purpose in the world, and yet says Hashem, I maintain them, I keep them in the world. The Jewish people, who I have definite need for them, certainly I should keep them in the world. In other words, that the whole purpose of the creation of creepy, crawly things is only for the continued existence of the Jewish nation. So too, when Naaman was ill, and he needed to be healed, so the obvious question is, what right does he have to be healed? Who is he that he deserves that the Navi should uh, do a miracle for him and, and heal him? So that's why Elisha was teaching at that point the Pasha of Shemayi In other words, just like there are all these little creepy crawly things that seemingly have no existence and yet HaKadosh Baruch Hu keeps them in the world. So therefore, there must be a purpose also that Naaman should be healthy, and that's why Elisha did, did, the, did the miracle. But we still have to understand, what was it that Elisha said to Gehazi that now is the time to get reward for the Shemana Shratzim? So perhaps we can explain it based on what Rav Yitzhak Blazer writes. He asked a question in his Sefer Yisrael, he says, how can the Gemara, there's Gemara in Tainus that says that a wicked person, a Russia gets his reward in this world. How can it be that Kodesh gives reward in this world? Now, we just, we know we have a rule of Schar Mitzvahs Baha'i Amaleka. There is no such thing as reward for Mitzvahs in the, in this in this world. Why? Because there's absolutely no currency of anything that exists in this world that could possibly be a sufficient payment even for one mitzvah. And he answers that the reward is given to each person according to how he values that mitzvah. And a Russia. He thinks that this world is much, much more important than Oilam Haba. And therefore, since you feel this world is more important, we give you your reward according to your value system of that Oilam is more important. And that's why you get the reward in this, in this world. In other words, a person fixes his own rewards for the mitzvahs that he does. Because when a person sort of Figures, ah, I don't need to answer Amen Yeshmi because I, I'd rather talk to my uh, friend or speak on, on the phone where I could make maybe a use some money in that. So he shows that for a value of 50 shekel, that's how much answering Amen is worth them. Or it's not even worth 50, 50 shekel. Now, any mitzvah, whatever a, pr- a person is prepared to, price he's prepared to pay to not do a mitzvah, obviously that price then for him is more valuable than, than the mitzvah. And therefore that's the reward he's going to get. Right, like they say, in the yeshiva of the, uh, of the Chofetz Chaim in, in Raden, so um, they were tremendous, tremendously poor to the point where they mamishly had nothing to give to the Bochum to eat. So the Rashiva went 
of Yeshiva came to Chavetz Chaim with an idea that he wants to sell that uh, if, if you would sell the mitzvah one time of of putting on tefillin, right? We know the the reward for for one mitzvah is is must be millions, and therefore, if you were to, uh, uh, be prepared to sell the rewards for one time, the Chavetz Chaim put on tefillin, how much? How many millions of dollars could that be? Could that be worth? And therefore, Kadosh would give them plenty of of money, and they'd be able to to sustain the yeshiva, you know, for for many 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 more years. Says the Chavetz Chaim, no, you 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 can't in any way do an exchange into money, the rewards, the eternal reward that one gets for even putting on tefillin once. For example, the the sort of the the normal notes. Of, of, of a ruble. So, uh, you know, the, 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 you can write a, a note, you can have a piece of paper that's for a value of a hundred rubles, right? And there's some people that have even notes that are a thousand rubles. But there's also a, that is in legal tender terms, a star of a hundred thousand ruble. And that's only in the, uh, in the, in the sort of the large, the large, uh, banks. You can't even get that in the small, in the small towns. Where you have to go to the central bank in, in the capital city. There perhaps you'll be able to, uh, get change for a star of a hundred thousand rubles. So too, the reward for putting on tefillin once is so big. There's nothing in this world, a place where you can get change into small money. Right? How, how do you expect to, to sort of somehow exchange the reward of tefillin in, uh, you know, what, to, in, in a few loaves of bread for the yeshiva? How's that going to, how's that going to work? And that's, that's what Gehazi did. When Gehazi, right, in the middle of the shear of Elisha, in, in learning the Perak of Shmanishratzim, in order to get a little bit of money from Naaman, so that he proved that as far as he was concerned, the money of Naaman was worth more than the sheer Torah of, of, of uh, Elisha. And therefore, that for him, he can get in this world, get the reward for his Shiri Torah, because that's all it's worth him. Therefore, when he came back and at least it said to him that now, now you can get your rewards for the Lima Torah of Perishman And he gave it to him in, uh, in, uh, in, in, in money. Gehazi's rectification came back in the next chapter when there was a famine and Gehazi and his three sons who were had nowhere to go. And on Seder night, Hashem did a miracle and the, the camp of the Aramla was besieging the Jewish nation. Imagine a huge army was coming and they ran away. And suddenly there was plenty of food and only Gehazi and his sons knew about it. And they could have taken all for themselves. But eventually, he was able to overcome his desire for money and go and tell the Jewish nation that there was plenty of food and plenty of money to be had. And by doing that, by overcoming his own personal desire, he was able... <coughs> to be metakin, to fix up that Avera that he had done, showing he did have a, a real value for important things, and he got his portion in the world to come. This is 11.9 FM, the program is Soul to Soul. We'll be back in eight moments. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. Second day of as we begin and uh, such a warm welcome to have all of you with us. Thank you so so much as we do as, as we always do at this point in the program to give you the important details you need for this coming Shabbos Kodesh. So first of all, this afternoon. The earliest time for lighting your Shabbos candles is at 4.35, 25 to 5. That's less than three hours from, from, uh, from now. It's, no, it's not. It's less than two hours 
from 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 now. I can't even do maths. Less than two hours from now, we can already have Shabbos on. It's so exciting. Let's do what we have to do. Let's finish our preparations, and let's get in the saddle and welcome in the Shabbos Malkas so or the Shabbos Queen as soon as we can. Four thirty-five is the earliest time we can we can do so. The latest time for benching Lich tonight is at five twenty-eight. 528 is the absolute latest time we can do it. There's really no much of an allowance to work after that. Unless it's an extreme uh, emergency, then we allow perhaps the person to even do what needs to be do until Shkia. But in ordinary circumstances, 528 is the absolute late time. By that time, you should be insured. The car should be parked. The food should be hot. We should all be dressed. The candles should be lit. It should be Shabbos in our in our homes. So, Shkia sunset is at 5.46, and that is the absolutely latest time for doing anything, even in an emergency situation. From that time on, it's considered night. It's definitely considered uh, to be to be Shabbos. If you want to be able to daven Mayrev and say the Kriyashma at night properly and fulfill the Mitzvah Sviris Omer after, after night, then all you have to do is wait to 604. 604 is already night according to everybody. And you can then Davin Mayrev and count the Omer and, uh, right, and, and sit down to a beautiful, beautiful, succulent Shabbos and Rosh Chodesh meal. Always the minute is that we add something extra because it's also uh, a Rosh Chodesh, some kind of Rosh Chodesh treat to enhance the beauty of our Shabbos, of our Shabbos meal. Tomorrow, is second day Rosh Chodesh. So, of course, we start off in Shachras by adding Yal Yavai, as we did by Mincha and Mayra, because Friday also was Rosh Chodesh, so we've been adding Yal Yavai since Thursday night, uh, both in the Shmon Esrei and in in uh, in Benching. So, Shabbos morning, after Shmon Esrei, we'll say Halal, the half Halal that we say on Rosh Chodesh and on the last six days of Pesach, and after that, we'll take out two Sifrei Torah. In the first one, we read the double Pasha of Sazriya and Metzorah. Sazriya really talks about how a person gets Torahs. And Metzorah to a great extent talks about how the healing process, how one goes through a rectification process after having done the sin and becoming pure again. And then the end talks about other kinds of Tumah also. And that's the weekly reading. And then for the Maftir, we read the the uh, reading of Rosh Chodesh of Yom HaShabbat, the seven Pesukim from Parshas Pinchas, as we would read normally on a on a Rosh Chodesh. And then the Haftarah is the special Haftarah for Rosh Chodesh, the very last chapter of the book of Isaiah, the book of Yeshaya, which ends with Vahayom Midei Chodesh Bechotcho Midei Shabbos Bishabbat. We mentioned the Rosh Chodesh, and that becomes the special Haftarah for a, a Shabbos, a Shabbos Rosh Chodesh. Because it is a Rosh Chodesh, today we don't say Tachlun, there is no, uh, Av, Avorachamim, and we do say, uh, the special Musaf Shman Esrei for Shabbos Rosh Chodesh. In many Shadurim, it's in the same pages as the normal Shabbos, but usually underneath there's a dividing line across the page. Below the line is the special Shman Esrei, Musaf Shman Esrei for the, for Rosh Chodesh. And uh, the Shabbos then carries on, double, double bracha, double, double simcha, Shabbos and Rosh Chodesh. In, at Mincha time, uh, we're going to read Perik Beis of Perik Yavis, which read the second week of the Oymer, of the Oymer prayer. So we read Perik Beis of, of Perik Yavis uh, tomorrow afternoon. And Shabbos Kodesh ends tomorrow night, uh, tomorrow night at 6.17, 17 minutes past 6 is the termination of, uh, of, of, uh, of Shabbos. And then we go into the month of Adar. Month of Adar is also very exciting, right? We have the, the, uh, coming up. We have Pesach Sheni. We have the special Chagin that honor the state of, of Israel. So it's an amazing, amazing, uh, situation. We are dealing with the laws of Bishol, the laws of cooking, and particularly the laws of leaving foods uh, that was been cooked before Shabbos 
on a fire on, on, on Shabbos. So we said the big problem we had was that we can't leave food on the, sto- on the stove if it's not yet cooked because that might encourage a person to do something that's going to perhaps enhance or, or increase the degree of the fire so that the food will become, will become the, uh, cooked quicker. But when there's no reason at all that would cause a person to want to improve the level of the of the heat underneath the cooked food, so then you would be allowed to leave it from before Shabbos, even theoretically on an uncovered fire. We're not worried that you're going to change the temperature of the fire. However, there's a dispute amongst the the, the poskim regarding the following uh, uh, question, right? What has to happen? in order that there should be no incentive for a person to increase the level of the heat. So some of the Rishonim, let's say the Rif and the Rambam, both hold, only when the food is completely, completely cooked, to the point where if I'm going to leave it on the fire any more, any additional cooking of that food will ruin or will diminish the level of, of its taste. Or as Chazal say it, mitstamek viraloi. It's going to dry up, <coughs> and that's not going to be beneficial for the food. According to them, only then are you allowed to leave it on the fire. But if, let's say, cooking it more is, is actually quite, uh, quite desirable to the person who owns the food. Yeah, it might get more, a little bit more crunchy. Yeah, those, those bones of that chicken might get soft and, and, and yummy. So then, uh, the extended cooking is also beneficial to them. So it says the Rambam, it's also to leave that kind of food on the fire because there's still a, a certain incentive to raise the fire because you want those bones to get nice and soft and, and, uh, and, and that's where you enjoy it. So therefore, that is, that is forbidden. However, the Goinim and the Balitoises hold, no, that any cooked food, once it's already reached the situation that it's able to be eaten, even in a desperate situation, right, or as Chazal say, it's let's say a third or half cooked, so there's no longer any worry that you might break Shabbos in order to uh, raise the level of the fire underneath the food. But if the food is so uncooked that even in a desperate situation, no person is going to eat it, then we do worry that maybe a person is so worried that he won't be able to eat that food at the time of his meal on, on Friday night, you might come to to sort of increase the level of the of the fire that's underneath it and that you cannot that you cannot uh, 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 Practically speaking, so we say you're allowed to leave on Erev Shabbos cooking that are edible, you know, b'shasadchak, half cooked on a open fire, because that is in fact the opinion of most of the Rishonim, and that is the the custom in most of the community of of Klaisho. But certainly lechatchila, one should be worried. To the, and take into account the opinion of the of the stricter opinion, not to leave on an open fire any foods that if you're going to continue to cook it, it's going to improve the taste. Right? And of course the, the, the solution, the best solution is to cover the fire as please God we're going to explain in the next segments and in the next halacha. This is one more point on FM. The program is soul to soul. We'll be back in a moment with our concluding comments. This is Hilchos Shabbos with Rabbi Moshe Schnurb, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 Chai FM, this is Soul to Soul, back on your radio, Erev Shabbos, Kodesh, Pasha, Sazir, Metzorah, Reish, Chodesh, Iyar, Tav, Shin, Pei, Gimel, as we close out our show, and thank you all for joining us. We're learning about the laws of Bishel, and we said that practically speaking, as long as food is certainly halfway cooked, 
you'd even be allowed to put it before Shabbos on an uncovered fire because according to most opinions, we're not worried that it's going to, that you're going to be incentivized to uh, make the flame uh, greater. But the truth is, if it's not yet cooked, whatever whatever that opinion is, so we said you can't leave it on the fire before Shabbos starts because you might come to do something to improve the quality of the fire. But there's a better way to even be allowed to leave food on a fire before Shabbos, and that would be by covering the fire. Because once one covers the fire, so therefore you sort of, in a, to a certain degree, reduce its heat. So that will already remind us that we're not allowed to do anything to make that heat greater on Shabbos. And if they forget and they try to then uh, raise the level of the fire, when they see that the fire is covered, they'll remember that today is Shabbos and they'll be careful not to raise the level of the fire at all. And therefore, one is allowed, one is permitted to take food that is not yet cooked and put it on a, what we call a platter, an electric platter even, where, where, where you're not directly on the, on the, on the fire itself, because since the heating elements are covered, one is allowed to do that on, on Shabbat. I'm going to talk more about the permissibility of leaving food on a covered fire, uh, in, in, in future shows, but we're going to end up now. And of course, just to really, as I always do, I feel so, so important that I have to thank all of you for really taking the time to join us. I mean, this radio show wouldn't exist if, if there weren't people listening to it, if there weren't people who were interested. And obviously, uh, although I never get any feedback from you, but I'm sure maybe the station, uh, gets positive feedback. Otherwise, I'm sure they would have pulled the show off the, off the, off the air a long, a long time ago. So, uh, that's, that's the way it is. And I really appreciate that. I hope, I hope that what we're learning is somehow inspirational, somehow helps you to both in terms of the hashkafa we learn to improve your understanding of all sorts of different concepts, and in terms of the aloha, to be able to have a better understanding of the laws of Shabbos and and keeping and keeping Shabbos to the best of our of our uh, uh, ability. But in the meantime, just to wish each and every one of you a good Shabbos and a good Chodesh and Bez Hashem. This should be a month full of bracha, full of happiness, full of nachas, full of health, full of good tidings, and full of the performance of Hashem's mitzvahs and the learning of His of His Torah. To each and every one of you, a good Gebenz Shabbos and a good Chodesh.